0: Welcome to Focus on the Future, a future planning podcast for caregivers and families supporting people with disabilities. Focus on the Future is a podcast of the Arc Minnesota, a nonprofit advocacy organization working with folks with intellectual and developmental disabilities. My name is Alicia Wolf. I'm an advocate here at the Arc and your host for Focus on the Future. In this week's episode, we're going to be talking about healthcare care directives. Over the past few episodes, we've been talking higher level about future planning and what it is, and some concepts to consider as you're doing future planning. And now we're going to get back into the actual logistics of future planning, all of that fun paperwork stuff, and the and the and the things that need to happen in future planning to create a more concrete plan. Uh, so we're going to step into that. As we have discussed a lot in previous episodes, future planning is like that three-legged stool with the legal planning, financial planning, and quality of life planning. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the legal planning aspects, which is the healthcare directive. So a healthcare directive is a form that somebody completes, fills out to guide people in what they would like their end-of-life care to be. If they are not able to speak for themselves, there's a lot of other things that go along with it, but in a nutshell, that's basically it. And so since it is a legal document that's notarized and you get to choose an agent and there's a few different like pieces in here, I invited Maggie O'Connor from Honoring Choices, Minnesota in to talk about the details of a healthcare directive. Uh, She's an expert in this area and I'll introduce her when we jump into the interview I just also wanted to share that considering future desires and successor care and just planning for the future is, is a really big, big part of this whole journey and in filling out a healthcare directive. So today we're just going to learn what a healthcare directive is, what you should consider along the way, and where to start. So here we go. Hi, Maggie. Welcome to the Arc Minnesota. Thanks for coming in today. Good morning. Maggie O'Connor is a retired palliative care doctor. And in her time working with families, she used many health care directives um, as families were facing end of life choices. And so she is here today as a part of Honoring Choices Minnesota to share her expertise on healthcare directives and end of life care. So welcome. Thank you. And what is your job with honoring choices? I'm a
1: volunteer. Or, what they call an ambassador. Um, and there's a group of us that meet regularly about four times a year and speak about healthcare directives, help people fill them out, do that kind of thing.
0: Okay. And I think the burning question for everybody here is what is a healthcare directive? How do you describe it? What does it entail? The way that I think of it is that it's a set of
1: directions for family and healthcare people of what you would want if you couldn't say for yourself, if something had happened and you couldn't talk or you were critically ill, they would have something to refer to and be able to say, ah, well, in this circumstance, given these things, she would really want us to do Mm -hmm. whatever it happens to be.
0: When I work with families, a lot of people say, well, my family knows what I want so I don't really feel it necessary to, to fill out a health care directive.
1: I heard that many, many times. One woman said, my mother thinks I'm her health care directive. The problem is the kinds of decisions that people are facing have a lot to do with fundamental values. If, If your brain is the most Cherish part of yourself. I have a son who's a, who's a quote-unquote nerd. <laughs> and if that was damaged and he couldn't do that very complex thinking, that would be a much different loss than it would be for me if, I'd, if I knew who was around me and, mm-hmm. and I knew myself, well, that would be good.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's very subjective, also. Very subjective. Mm-hmm. And so, filling out a healthcare directive gives people like a roadmap. Would you say of how to make those decisions?
1: A roadmap, a voice that they can listen to. Oh yeah, that
0: sounds like mom. Mm-hmm. So you you said before that everybody should have a healthcare directive after the age of eighteen. A lot of people that are listening to this podcast right now are caretakers of of children uh, with disabilities, often adult children. Uh, and so what do you have to say to, to that?
1: These conversations are difficult, no matter what your circumstance, but are invaluable. And maybe somebody with cognitive difficulties would not be able to wrap their head around all of these questions. But some of the questions,
0: absolutely. Yeah, what are some of the questions that are on the directives?
1: One of them that I really like is, what are three non-medical things that you think other people should know about me? Mm. And that would take some context explaining, you know, if you were in the hospital. But it could range from my dog as my closest friend. Yeah. To I really hate being cold. <sighs> Very fundamental practical kinds of things that it would be good for people who are taking care of you in the hospital to know about.
0: Yeah, and it's it's really important pieces of information because for those two examples, my dog is the most important person in my life. I may want to see my dog before I pass, and I hate being cold make sure that I'm not cold at the end of my life to make sure that I'm the most comfortable as as possible and you being a palliative care doctor, retired palliative care doctor, you know the importance of of people being comfortable because palliative care is can you describe it a little bit?
1: So palliative care is a between kind of thing. So there's hospice which is strictly when people are clearly dying. Palliative care worked with people with serious illness but they may even be able to recover. But the difference is that we focus on the goals of a person. So one person who's 90 might say, you know, my goal is to be comfortable. I know you could give me all sorts of treatments, but my family's gone and I've lived a good life. Just keep me comfortable. And a person who's 25 and is a newborn baby would say in the same circumstance, I want you to do every possible thing you can. Mm -hmm. And palliative care would follow both paths. The second path Going towards hospice, but the first path, making sure that the oncologist is paying attention to things like nausea, pain, shortness of breath, the angst of losing a child, perhaps, mm-hmm. um, all those types of things.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. And so, as far as the healthcare directives go, when when people create a healthcare directive, they fill out preferences and, and things that matter to them in that directive to be able to guide a healthcare agent and doctors in the future. Now a healthcare agent is somebody who is overlooking the healthcare directive and making those decisions. Can you describe what they what they do and what their responsibilities are? So the way I
1: think of an agent is they will talk with the doctors, they will talk with the nurses. Just as you would if you were able to speak and they will have access to your chart. They can make decisions on your behalf. They can guide sort of the goal of treatment. They can do everything you would do if you were sick and able to talk and able to make decisions. Mm -hmm. They're your voice.
0: My my boss jokes that her husband is not her healthcare agent because she doesn't believe that he would be able to make the choices that she would want in the situation where he would need to make those choices. Um, and so, when we guide people through through choosing your healthcare agent, that's kind of the most important thing in doing a healthcare directive is choosing somebody that you would trust to really follow what you want. Choosing somebody you trust
1: asking them if they can do it and talking to the people you did not choose if you think they might have expected to be chosen. Mm. So if you have two daughters and you choose one, be sure to talk to the other daughter and say, this is why I have done this.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Because I have seen situations where one daughter was excluded and had a big personality and intimidated the agents into making a decision that actually their mother would probably not have wanted. Mm -hmm. So you really want to cover all those bases.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I often also hear the quote, I don't know where to start in all of this. Thinking about the end of your life is, Really, really difficult, uh so when you work with families because you go into people's homes and you help people fill out healthcare care directives, where do you start? Well, the first thing is to not attempt
1: to start in the future to start right now, so what that means is if you're relatively healthy, imagine that you went outside and you got into an accident and you were knocked out and injured what would you want in this circumstance hmm. right now because we obviously don't know our future self we don't know our future circumstance
0: mm-hmm.
1: there's no way we could anticipate and make a directive directives can be rewritten as many times as you want And they recommend that you rewrite it every decade uh, with a change in health, with divorce, with death of a spouse, any major change, you want to rewrite the directive. You do not want to scribble out the old one and add something. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You really want to do the whole thing just because once something's scribbled out, it's sort of suspect. Okay. Was that. Maggie, that scribbled it out, or was that her evil twin <laughs> who was trying to manipulate, manipulate yeah, yeah, the yeah, situation?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So, do a new healthcare directive at any major life change, at least every 10 years. Elect an agent whom you trust. And when you're creating the healthcare directive, think about the decisions that you would want to make right now.
1: Right. And doing that takes some reflection on what makes my life worth living. Mm. Uh, If I was paralyzed from the waist down, I'm not a great athlete. I'd be bummed, but I I could handle that. Yeah. If I didn't know my loved ones from anybody, if I didn't know who I was, you know, don't go out and kill me, but... I I don't want you to do any kind of routine testing. I don't want you to try and keep me alive. I mm-hmm. don't want you to artificially feed me. Those are those kind of decisions I would make. But those are the types of decisions that you would want to
0: look at. That you would want to account for, yeah. And in the Honoring Choices Healthcare Directive form, there's a few different forms. There's a two-page form, a four-page form, and an eight-page form. So depending on what you qualify as your state of health or however far in depth you want to go, those forms pretty well like walk you through that, correct? Like they ask you questions as you go through it so you shouldn't feel so lost.
1: They lay out the questions one at a time. What's interesting is that the four-page form is the newest one and it has some questions that are not on the other two that are very, very helpful. Things like, what gives me strength and keeps me going in difficult times? Or, my worries and fears about my health. Mm. And I enlarge that in my mind to my worries and fears about being ill and having to be in a hospital or a serious kind of situation, because... As a healthy person, I'm not worried about my health exactly. Yeah, yeah. My goal is if my health gets worse. That's the one that begins to open a can of worms if you don't have some kind of illness already. But if I had cancer, I hope I would have the strength early on to think about, well, what do I want if treatment really becomes burdensome Mm -hmm. and at least begin that conversation before I'm faced with it.
0: Yeah. It gives you a way to emotionally prepare. Right. Yeah. And that's something that, that I've noticed a lot in these conversations with people about end of life care and just future planning in general is people really struggle with not knowing what the future is going to hold. And not being able to picture it. And so having a framework to start the conversation can be really, really helpful.
1: And depending on your health, there may be some questions where you say, I have no idea. And that's fine. You don't have to answer every question in the healthcare directive. Oh, okay. So, you know, if I was 18 and they're asking me questions about what is a good death, it'd be like, Give me a break. To not die. <laughs> yeah.
0: To not die. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. You don't have to answer that one.
0: Yeah. Okay. And then so so you don't have to answer certain questions. Another question that I often get is, can you have more than one healthcare agent?
1: You can have more than one healthcare agent. You can have either that they are sort of co equals, mm-hmm. or you can have that they have to answer together or you can have a primary choice and a secondary choice in every form that isn't necessarily quite laid out but you can note that
0: you can write it in and you can write it in and 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 doctors and nurses and healthcare providers all look at the healthcare directive and and use that as a guide I would like to say
1: yes um, but it depends on the circumstance so if somebody comes in to the emergency room and a decision has to be made this instant, or they're going to die, mm-hmm. they may not look at the directive. Mm-hmm. They may do what they have to do in that moment. There is something called a physician or provider order regarding life-sustaining treatment, a whole nother topic. Okay. That is a physician's order or a provider's order. And then the emergency room can say, "Oh, nope, we do not have to do aggressive measures here."
0: Okay. So then, a healthcare directive is more useful in the situation where somebody is getting more ongoing treatment, or is like meeting with their their doctor and has not quite so much of an emergency situation.
1: No, a healthcare directive is more useful for. For any situation, because any one of us could be in a place of not being able to speak. Mm-hmm. But if you know, I don't want to be hospitalized, I don't want to be resuscitated, I don't want to be brought back to life, I already have bad emphysema or congestive heart failure or whatever it happens to be, then there is a point, which usually coincides with hospice, where that P-O-L-S-T, POST, is um, very, very useful because that means, let's say grandma is on hospice, but she falls out of bed and she's big and I can't pick her up and get her back in bed. I can call the emergency people and get assistance without having to worry of, oh my gosh, are they going to take her into the hospital? Because they have a physician order that says this person can be left alone; they don't have to be saved.
0: Mm. Okay. So at some point, it may be it may be something to consider that people would want a healthcare directive and a post. That's right. But for the most part, people are good and well covered with just a healthcare directive. That's right. Okay. Maggie, would you mind walking us through the execution of a health care directive, what it looks like on a day-to-day basis when somebody has one that's established and they're receiving care from
1: a physician? Absolutely. Probably the most common situation where I saw this was in the intensive care unit. Somebody was very, very sick. It was unclear if they would get better or not. And there would be a family meeting. This would involve me, maybe a chaplain or a social worker, the primary doctors at that moment. It might be the intensive care doctor. It might be other specialists and the family. And family is whoever shows up for you. So it could be your chosen family, too. It could be your chosen family. Yeah. And there's no verification That goes on. Okay. You don't have to prove, you know, that you're married or anything else like that. So we'd sit down together and the doctors taking care of your loved one would explain the situation and make sure that you understood how they were doing, what might be the good course and what might be the not so good course that things might travel going ahead, And then a conversation about if things do not improve, we want to think about what we should do. There's a point where you have to make a decision of whether to keep them on the machine or not. And it's more complicated than I need to get into. But usually before that point, we begin talking about it. So if they don't get better by the end of the week, what would he or she want. Mm -hmm. And what's important then to know is that question of what makes life worth living? What are the goals now at this time in my life? Those are the things that you need to put into that directive so that the person speaking for you can say, as a friend of mine did, well, my dad said that if he could eat chocolate ice cream and watch football, then keep on. And the surgeon said, he'll be able to do those things. And they kept on, and he got better. Uh. And so that was a happy ending. Yeah. And that's really the bottom line of a healthcare directive, is it's a gift to the people you love the most. Mm-hmm. It gives them support at a time when they are facing the possibility of losing you. It's really a gift.
0: Absolutely, it is. Yeah, I was talking to somebody a few years ago about their healthcare directive and, and filling it out. And there came a point in the healthcare directive where it asked, like, what is important to you in the last few moments of your life or something like that? And somebody wrote that they wanted a certain kind of music played and they wanted somebody to brush their hair. And somebody chuckled or somebody laughed and, and it ended up being a really wonderful gift that that person gave to their family because not only were they able to clearly articulate what they wanted and then the family had no question, but then also the daughter had something to do in those last few moments that made her feel connected to her mom and like she was able to help make that a more positive experience and not focus so much on the grief. And so it is a really great gift.
1: Death is one of those times that the people who survive remember for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And so to be able to remember brushing your mother's hair and listening to her favorite music is a wonderful memory Mm -hmm. at a time of deep loss. Mm -hmm. Wonderful gift.
0: Yeah, the healthcare directive can be a wonderful gift, and that could be a different perspective to to look at it. Right, instead of filling out a document about your death and all the destruction and stuff, you can try to flip the perspective and try to think about it from your loved ones' point of view, and not so much yours.
1: I imagine in whispering into my son's ears if it's they aren't the the agent yet, but they probably will be one day this is what I'd want. Yeah, Just do this.
0: (laughs) It's like, oh, thanks, mom. You got it. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking time today, Maggie. I really appreciate you coming in. And you can, um, the listeners here today can go to honoringchoices.org to find all of this information, Um, the different healthcare directives, watch There's various different videos. There's a lot of really wonderful content. And you can also call the organization for a conversation if you wanted to talk to somebody and had any in-person questions. That's right. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Wonderful. Thanks. If this episode inspired questions for an advocate at The Ark Minnesota, please give us a call at 833-450-1494. And on the next episode of Focus on the Future, we are going to be talking about guardianship and decision-making. It's usually a really big factor in thinking and talking about the future is decision-making and who's going to be supporting people and what does guardianship look like. Um, lots of questions that go along with that. So we'll dive in next time. Focus on the Future is a podcast of the ARC Minnesota. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming service to stay up to date with the newest episodes. If you're enjoying listening, please support the podcast and our mission by donating at arcminnesota.org podcast. Also, we would love to hear what you think about the podcast and what topics you would like to cover in the future. So leave us a review if you are able. Our podcast music is composed and recorded by Micah Cadwell. Micah is the talented guitarist from New Brighton, Minnesota, who also has autism. Thanks, Micah. This podcast is produced, hosted, and developed by myself, Alicia Woof, and supported by a team of very talented individuals. Thanks all, and thank you for listening. Have a great day.